no one is ever kind to you. You know, you're treated more like a stray animal, like you're treated like garbage. And as a kid, you get to believe it. Growing up in a small village in Africa meant that nothing in life came easy to Peter Mutabazi. But it was in that struggle that he learned how to be grateful for what he did have and how to celebrate the right things. I began to really learn about, you know, what Christ means to us and the sacrifice he will make in life for us and why he was born and, and the joy that he brought to uh, to the sinful world. You're about to hear the story of Peter Mutabazi, a man who started life on the streets of Uganda and who today is a foster parent with three college degrees. All of his experiences have taught him about compassion and the importance of the birth of Jesus Christ. Peter Mutabazi is our guest on this episode of GPS, God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I'm Phil Fleischman. I'm Jim Kirkland. Peter's story is a timely message to us all to remember what is truly worth celebrating during the Christmas season. A little later, you're going to hear Billy Graham talk about God's compassion for us in sending his son Jesus to earth. Sin has come between you and God. And so we walk around physically alive, but spiritually dead. Now, God decided to do something about our condition. So what did God do? He decided to come to earth. And that's who Jesus Christ was. If you'd like to learn more about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, go to findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. Or call our 24-hour prayer line. The number is 888-388-2683. That's 888-388-2683. 83. God. People. Stories. I grew up in a village, you know, uh, um, in southwestern Uganda, you know, the, you know, living among the poor of the poorest. Peter Mutabazi grew up where scarcity was abundant. I had, uh, you know, one meal every other day, you know, grew up on beans and potatoes. You know, we didn't have shoes. We, did, we didn't go to school. Uh, there wasn't really much to hope for or much to dream about uh, as kids um, growing up. You know, as kids, we had to walk miles and miles to go find a school or find, you know, clean water. In spite of the widespread poverty, Peter says there was a shared sense of responsibility to help your neighbor in his village. You go to your neighbor to get, uh, you know, firewood or a light uh, or salt. You go to your neighbor and ask them. So it's it's more of a communal world where we all do the same for one another when we need each other. While growing up with a constant sense of need was certainly not easy, Peter learned that there was still, in all of that, a lot to celebrate, especially during the Christmas season. I began to really learn about, you know, what Christ means to us and the sacrifice he will make in life for us and why he was born and, and the joy that he brought to uh, to the sinful world. I understood it without anything attached to it. You know, so I never got a present. I never had a card on Christmas. We never had any material things. But there was oftentimes a special Christmas meal, although probably not what you think of as particularly noteworthy when you think about your typical Christmas meal. 
we could barely find food. It was the only time we, we could have chicken or a different meal, or, you know, rice um, that we never had, you know, during the any other day. And as a teenager or as a kid, I would eat last. You know, the, the adults would eat first and then the kids would eat last. And sometimes we didn't get to that chicken because it, you're the last one to eat. Poverty may not have been the hardest part of growing up for Peter. The hardest part may have very likely been sharing a home with his father. So my dad is from a Roman Catholic family, but my dad was the the most abusive man he could think of. So you have poverty on one side, and then on the other side, you, you have a dad that could easily take your life. So I think as a kid, you know, your dad beats you or, you know, abuses your mom and you're watching. And then after he goes to pray, you're like, well, really, do you, <laughs> should I believe what you're praying? You know, uh, and I think that was a challenge for me, you know, to see what he believed, but also how he lived his life was the opposite. But I think I hated him, to be honest, so much that anything he stood for, I, I just didn't believe in it. Exhausted from the constant threat of violence and fearing for his own life, at the age of 11, Peter made a bold decision to run away. So one day I woke up and I was like, look, I cannot give an opportunity for my dad to take my own life. I would rather go die somewhere else. So I got on the bus. I had never been 50 miles away from my village and I went 500 kilometers. That bus took Peter to the capital of Uganda, Kampala. That's where he began living on the streets. But as a street kid, you know, you're treated more like a stray animal, like you're treated like garbage. And as a kid, you get to believe it. You know, I, I think, you know, you begin to hear what people said or what your parents said, that you believe it, like, hey, I'm useless. Feeling like he had no value wasn't new to Peter. And he was used to hard work. But life as a street kid, that was new territory. Yeah, he would once again have to turn to his neighbors for help. Peter says the street kids counted on one another to survive and that nothing came easy, not even finding a place to sleep. So, you know, the buses, there are buses that would come from villages and they would all meet in one place, like it's a bus station, you know. So we would clean them and wash them for them because that was cheap labor. They didn't have to pay. Uh, but along the way, we could take a nap, you know, we'd sleep in shifts most time with kids because we wanted to be safe. You know, someone can throw on me acid. Someone could throw hot water on me. Someone, I mean, I could sleep under the bus and the bus can move and I'm, I'm gone, you know. So there was a way that we knew how to protect ourselves. Sleep wasn't the only thing the kids needed to survive. They also had to work together to find food. So think of a marketplace has hundreds and hundreds of people selling hundreds and hundreds of things and people come to buy things in bulk. So if you want beans, you all come to this market, you know, and buy things there. And then you go home, you know, would help families uh, carry whatever they needed. If I'm carrying a bunch of banana for you and I know you won't give me any, if I take one, one banana, you won't know. And that's how we'll take food. So if I take one banana, he takes another banana. By the end of the day, we have enough for the whole family unit, you know. Uh, that's how we, we made it. We were always there for one another. With the marketplace being the best bet to find food, the kids became regulars there. Now, keep in mind, Peter didn't know much about Jesus Christ and had not made a commitment of his life to Christ. Not yet. So Peter did whatever he could. And one of those things was keeping a keen eye for people who seemed more generous than others. There was one person who caught his eye, one person in particular that would change Peter's life. And in more ways than he could know, his name was Masiko. He was a Christian. And it all started with one simple question. I got to meet a stranger, Masiko, and, you know, he asked what my name was. 
uh, and who's kind. You help thousands of people in a massive month, yeah? But no one is ever kind to you. So when one is kind in a very exceptional way, you, you can't forget, you know? Uh, you can't forget. Think about you meet hundreds of people, but no one has ever stood and said, hey, what's your name? Like, no one has ever asked you, what is your name? Uh, humanly speaking, like, for us, that was really, it, it made us stop. That, wait, 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 you, you just identified me? Peter had been seen as a human being for the first time in many years. He decided to keep an eye out for his new friend, Masiko, and he would lend a hand anytime Masiko was at the market. So he fed me for one year and a half. And, you know, I think he was so uh, kind that he wanted to, to help this kid who was in need. And he saw a potential in me that I had not seen myself, that my family had never seen in me, you know. But somehow he saw a kid said, you know what, no matter how far he is, no matter how, what he looks or where he's been like, I think he's got potential that I would like to help this kid. Over the course of that year and a half, Masiko and Peter's friendship developed, and Masiko earned Peter's trust. One day, after what had become a routine trip to the market, Masiko asked Peter something that Peter could have never seen coming. And then he said, would you like to go to school? And I said, hmm, wait, school? You know, as a street kid, that's something you don't even dream. That's something out there, you know? Uh, but also I think when the world has made you believe you, you, you never amount to anything, anyone to give you an opportunity that was that big, you'll be like, that's for someone else, not me. Peter accepted Masiko's offer, but not for reasons that you might think. So he put me in a boarding school. But as a kid, I don't think I wanted to go to school. It wasn't really that I wanted to be somebody. No. He said there would be food. <laughs> that's, all, that's all he had to tell me. There's food. I was like, oh, food? Sure. And then he said, there's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So for me, that's all I had. About school, I don't think I heard about that. It's like food. Okay. So food. So once I got, so we arrived, I had lunch. They said there would be dinner. So I waited for dinner. So then I waited for breakfast. So every day I waited for the next meal. Then I realized like, oh, in order to keep this up, I have to go to class and somehow pretend to be doing something. So that's why I did well in school. It wasn't really that I wanted to be somebody. Masiko had fundamentally changed Peter's life. And then Masiko invited Peter to live with his family during breaks from school. Still, there was something that just didn't make sense to Peter. I think I always wanted, like, why would someone love me this much? Like, they don't know me, you know? Why? Why? You know, and then, of course, I, I got to really understand that he, you know, he was a believer. So I began going to church and began, you know, hearing the gospel. I'd never seen a dad talk kindly to, the, to, you know, to his kids. That was my first time to see that. You know, at first I thought it was fake because, it's, you know, when it, you've never seen you know, a dad who's kind, that they sit on the table and talk, that they smile, they love you. Like, is this real? You know, because I didn't have an example. I had never seen that before. So I began to really, you know, uh, see his life. And, you know, I realized that's how they live their lives, that they were kind, they were sweet. They were happy to have me there, that they treat me like their, their son. You know, they didn't treat me different. After a few years of treating Peter like a member of his own family, Masiko extended a job offer to Peter when he was 17. This new job would give Peter the opportunity to care for children similar to the way Masiko had cared for him. But it wouldn't be easy or safe. When he said, hey, would you like to go help kids in Rwanda? I was like, absolutely. So I was, you know, I was hired by um, Compassion International to deliver food and, and rescue the children during the genocide in Rwanda. 
Peter's first job was to deliver food across the Uganda-Rwanda border to children who had been orphaned due to the Rwandan genocide. You know, it was really scary. You know, walking in a place where kids and the oldest would be only 14, and the rest are between 0 and 13. And to know that they were all there and they didn't have any parent or knew where their parents were, that was really difficult, you know, uh, to sit there and provide, bring medicine, bring the food, but knowing that each one of them's uh, parents were taken away uh, or were killed. Peter had seen the effects of terror and death up close and personal, and it forced him to confront his own mortality and what it meant to truly live. I saw the calamities, I saw what people had done, and it's hard when you go and see human beings treated that way uh, and realizing that I needed to know Christ, my Lord and Savior, that that's all I had. With his newfound faith in Christ, Peter continued serving those around him with the ministry Compassion International. Eventually, though, he decided it was time to leave his job and continue his education. His success during boarding school earned him an academic scholarship to attend a university in Kampala. After earning a degree there in business administration, Peter decided to get a degree in crisis assistance at a university in England. After that, he moved to Los Angeles to attend the Master's College and Seminary, where he earned his Master's of Divinity. Peter's childhood experiences, his time serving the people of Rwanda, and his extensive education all worked together to give him a very unique set of skills. And it turned out that Compassion International was looking for someone with that type of skill set. So he packed his bags again, this time heading to Denver, Colorado, to rejoin the Compassion International team. And my job was to speak on behalf, you know, of children all over the world and and travel uh, with our sponsors and donors. You know, he's given me, you know, more than any kid in Africa in my village will ever have. Like, I mean, I've seen... Thousands, thousands of kids be sponsored through sharing my journey, my, my story. Peter would continue his job at Compassion International for 11 years until a conversation with a coworker would send him in a new direction. One day, I don't know, one day I was traveling with one pastor, you know, and this pastor was, you know, my age, and he was really excited about his daughter, you know. But when he showed me his daughter, he's, this is a white guy, and his daughter was a little black kid. I was like, wait, 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 you know, how do you, how, how does this happen? And so he explained to me like, hey, the mom, you know, um, had a problem, so he's in the false care. And that's the first time I had about false care. Like, wait, the kids in the U.S. that have nowhere to go, you know? And I think that was really touching. And, you know, these are kids who are in the false care from literally age of zero. I was like, wait, what, you know? And I think that really touched me and and bothered me as well. I could not complain. I could not understand, you know, why, you know, why we would be believers that love Jesus, but yet we had no no connection or no incline that there was someone who needed a home, you know. So once I got a house, it had, you know, was three bedrooms. So I just like, I would not, (laughs) I would not leave those rooms empty. Peter knew that his whole life had been leading up to this very moment. Everything from abuse to life as a street kid, and especially Masiko's care for him. It was going to be used by God to help children who were suffering just like Peter had. He had never felt more confident that God was calling him to do something, and he jumped at the opportunity to be a foster parent. So I quit my job to be a foster dad, you know. I mean, literally, I signed up that day. And, and I think for me, the struggle was still, t- you know, look, too, too much given, much is required. Like, you know, someone was faithful to love me unconditionally, you know, t- to know that someone 
you know, showed me who God was to me and gave me that sense of, you know, who my Father in heaven is, you know, that really helps me, you know, do what I do, be a dad. Like, I'm not a perfect dad, you know, but, but knowing that he, he loves me, uh, knowing that he turns what is ugly into good, you know, that I, I would do the same, that I would see his people the same way. Peter has been faithfully living out his calling to be a foster parent, and he has welcomed 13 children into his home since he started his journey as a foster dad. And recently, he adopted his son, Anthony. You know, so when Anthony came, I wasn't ready at all. You know, I I had two kids who had left on Monday. And, you know, the hardest thing as foster parents is goodbye. You know, no one can ever prepare you on how to say goodbye. So they had left on Monday, and I thought, you know what, I need three months. I need to take a break, you know. On Friday, I get a phone call. Like, hey, there's a kid here that needs help, you know. And I'm like, no, I told you guys I need three months off. So they said, well, but could you have him for only two days? Keep him Saturday and Sunday. We'll pick him on Monday. When the social worker arrived to pick him up, I asked, where will he go? They said, well, he'll go to the group home. And all of a sudden, I think my, my whole life went back to my childhood, you know, not knowing, you know, who who would love you? You know, I think at that moment, that's when I, you know, I really knew God had come to be his dad and he's been with me since then. You know, he's grown to love and, and to feel loved and belong. You know, that that's what kids need. They just need safety and, and to feel that they are loved and that's what he he is. And, you know, I think he's content. He's doing well in school, you know. Uh, yeah, that he's a good kid. He's a really good kid. He's playing football right now. Uh, yeah, it's polite. He loves to read, you know. He enjoys reading quite a lot. So before he goes to bed, I have to take the books away or else he'll wake up and read it. Peter loves his role as a foster and adoptive dad. And he says his life experiences and learning about God's faithfulness have helped him lead his foster children through coping with their struggles and insecurities. And that's especially the case during the Christmas season. It's this time of year, says Peter, when children who have been in the foster care system tend to feel forgotten and like they're nobodies. To help them, Peter often reminds them of something we should all remember. You know, that's how Christ was. That's how, that's how he came on earth. And that's how he was seen. You know, it was the nobody that nobody wanted. Like he was born in a manger. Think about like in where nobody goes, like where you keep cows and cattle and sheep. That's where he was born, you know, meaning, you know, uh, he didn't really have much as much as we, we don't have. And so to instill in them of who was born, why, in what condition was he born, like, well, it wasn't pretty, you know. Uh, that yes, it might not be pretty in our lives right now, but to know that he died for you, you know, he was born for you, that you and I can inherit God's kingdom uh, that from the lowly, from the least of these. Send the shepherd boy to Peter Mutabazi understands something important about the Christmas season, that while the gifts, the family gatherings, meals, decorations, and traditions are all good things, they aren't what we should be celebrating. What is worth celebrating? 
the birth of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son. And he gave us his son through the birth of Jesus. If you'd like to read more about the birth of Jesus, you can do that by going to Luke chapter 2 in the Bible. And if you'd like to learn more about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us at findpeacewithgod.net or call our 24-hour prayer line. The number is 888-388-2683. Both the phone number and the website are in our show notes. The power of words. In just a minute, you're going to hear how Peter is using words to give hope to hurting kids. You're listening to GPS, God, People, Stories, a podcast production of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Sin has come between you and God. And so we walk around physically alive, but spiritually dead. Billy Graham. Now God decided to do something about our condition. So what did God do? He decided to come to earth. And that's who Jesus Christ was. He was God in the flesh. And he came to tell us that God loves us and God wants to help us in our problems and our difficulties and the mysteries of life. He wants to help solve those things for us. So God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you forget everything else, you remember that God loves you. He has the hairs of your head number. He's interested in you and he loves you. And he wants to forgive your sins. He wants to save you. He wants to take you to heaven. Would you like to experience that forgiveness and to know that you're going to heaven when you die? Would you like to have a relationship with the God who loves you more than you can imagine? We can help. Visit us at findpeacewithgod.net. Or if you'd rather talk with someone, you can call our 24-7 prayer line. The number is 888-388-2683. Again, that number and our website are in the show notes. Our guest on this episode of GPS is Peter Mutabazi. Since adopting his son, Anthony, the two have started a project called Now I Am Known. It's designed to help children understand that they are valuable and that God loves them. As a street kid, no one ever said any nice, good word towards me. My dad, it didn't matter. I tried all my life to please him one time so he can say, son, that was good. I never had that. I'm going to use what I longed for or what I never had from my mom, from my dad, for my kids. So I created 12 words of affirmation. You're special, you're enough, you belong, you're chosen, you matter, you're hard, you're seen, you're not alone, you're a gift. Things that I really long to have, you know, uh, and that created a, a bandana uh, so our kids can always have them. And created the, and now I'm known. Now I'm, I'm known is a place where our kids uh, can feel like they are known. You know, and that's something I would like to, to really do for the rest of my life, to be an advocate for kids, to be an advocate for moms who most of them have not been hard or anyone who's always shoved from the back and, and feel like they don't belong. And that's my mission, to really create a way uh, to give voices, uh, but also to encourage parents, you know, to these wo- you know, to use these words of affirmation to their kids. Often it's, it's easy to forget and say, I'm a mom, but, you know, it's amazing how those words will, will go so far uh, when kids hear that, you know, you're special, uh, you're not alone. 
We want to thank Peter Mutabazi for all that he does to help children and families in the name of Christ and for taking time from his busy schedule to tell us about it here on GPS, God, People, Stories. I'm Jim Kirkland. And I'm Phil Fleischman. We also want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you shared it with a friend or on your favorite social media platform. When you post, tag us at at Billy Graham Radio and let us know what you liked about it. And lastly, all of us here at GPS wish you and yours a very blessed and Merry Christmas. GPS, God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Always good news. Good news.